Well, hey there, this is Terry, and I am welcoming you to episode 11 of season four. And today I'm going to be having a conversation with Joel Block. If you are a solopreneur and want growing your business to be easier, welcome to the Simplify and Multiply show, hosted by award-winning creative, business development expert, and tactical coach, Terry Pappy. The Simplify and Multiply show promises to become your practical, tactical, and motivational guide to succeeding as a solopreneur. Hey there, Solo. I'm Terry Pappy, and I created Simplify and Multiply to provide you a place where you can discover how to make your business more profitable. I'm going to do this by helping you remove the complexity from marketing and business development. So if that sounds good to you, listen in. Well, hey, Joel, thank you so much for being here on the Simplify and Multiply show. How are you doing all the way over on the West Coast? Terry, I am good. Nice to be here with you this morning. Thank you. Yeah, it's so funny because <laughs> we've been on the pre-recording, just kind of having a chat about so many exciting things. And I'm definitely looking forward to having you share a little bit about those, especially your trends report. So, but let's start, first of all, uh, why don't you tell the audience who may not be familiar with you a little bit about your background, and then we're going to dive right into niche, niche, niche for strength, this season's theme. Cool. Um well, I started the CPA business as a youngster. Uh, that didn't work out that great. I, I really wasn't very good at it. Uh, I like to say that if I didn't quit, I'd been fired for sure. But I worked <laughs> at Price Waterhouse, the you know the big CPA firm, and so I got great, great chops, great training, and I got to work on some cool events. And uh, people always find it interesting. I, I counted ballots one year for the Academy Awards, which wow. was a cool thing. Yeah, that was cool. Um, Anyway, but the last account I worked on there was a big real estate syndicator, and uh, that's a company that puts people in pools together, and then they go buy real estate with it. And I just, I just loved it. I just loved that business. So I uh, quit the firm, started a little syndication company, started uh, buying real estate and raising money from investors. I uh, did several deals, and then fell into a venture capital transaction, uh, which, which is me and another guy. We invented the concept of delivering stock quotes to investors by fax. Hmm. And I raised $10 million uh, for this company. Wow. And I traveled all over the country selling subscriptions to this service and did pretty well at it. Uh, that's part of why I didn't make it as a CPA is because I'm a salesman. I, I love mm. to sell. I love to talk to people. And uh, the idea of holding a pencil all day long is just not attractive to me. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, you know, but I ended up selling that company to a fortune 500 company and, and doing pretty good. And, uh, and then I stayed in venture capital doing, doing deals, buying and selling companies and doing things, funding companies. And now I have a, I've got a fund now that people call and ask for money all the time. And mostly it's for buying real estate, but once in a while, something else. So that's it. That's, that's kind of what I do. I, I speak regularly to corporate and, and financial audiences, uh, people who want to, know how to enhance the value of their business. And, you know, there, there's a lot of tricks that Wall Street has, and, and I know a few of those tricks. A few, I'll say you did. And that's how we met was through the National Speakers Association when you came down as a guest speaker to the Florida Speakers Association, Association, yeah. which is my chapter, and they meet in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. And this was about a year ago, wasn't it now, I think? It is and... a little over a year ago. And uh, <laughs> he sang that great song. It was so fun. And, you know, just you have a great yeah. chapter, a lot of very fun we... people. 
Yeah, it's, you know, NSA, I just go on and on about what a great organization it is. And uh, you're still on the board, correct? I'm on the national board. Yes. Uh, I was the, uh, I was our local, my local chapter, the Los Angeles chapter. I was our president a couple of years ago and, and then I got involved in the national organization. So it's, it's a brilliant organization. I mean, I mean, we just have the smartest people, the most mm. uh, thought uh, advancing kind of people. And, and it's, that's just such an exciting thing. And generous too. I'm just yeah. moved every time I'm, I'm around uh, speakers that are involved with the organization and they're just so forthcoming. You know, you would think, oh, they're so competitive because they're all going after the same stage, but it's so not that. And yeah. they're just wonderful people, the the character that comes through and, and how giving uh, people are. I mean, look at you, you're spending time with me and helping my audience grow in their business as well. So I love, I love it. I think it's great. And that's good, you know, because there's plenty of stages and there's plenty of speakers and everybody has their own niche, right? So this is something I want to talk to you about because at... As you know, uh, the uh, Simplify and Multiply show speaks specifically to solopreneurs, and there are a lot of speakers that have their own business. They're also consultants and what have you. And one of the things I get asked about a lot is, you know, in the context of marketing is, Terry, what niche should I pick? And I've been doing a lot of work with my clients on distinguishing niche and really kind of reverse engineering it to be more about like last season's topic, which was the power of a business of you and infusing more of you into your business to kind of allow that niche to kind of bubble up from the bottom. So what are your thoughts on if you knew somebody who was either just starting out or maybe leveling up their solopreneur practice, whether they were a speaker, coach, consultant, what have you, trainer, uh, and they were like really looking to niche tighter or pick a niche or be a little more deliberate in that effort. You know, ironically, sometimes the niche picks you, hmm. not not the other way around. You know, you can try really hard. You know, this happens to a lot of speakers. Um, they really want to speak on a certain topic or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden they get a They get a deal uh, with the pharmaceutical, some pharmaceutical company. And a bunch of pharmaceutical people are sitting in the audience and they go, well, that person was really terrific. Uh, would you come speak at our event? And then another one in that audience says, would you come speak at our event? And they end up niched in pharmaceuticals. Mm. So for speakers, it happens uh, in a funny way. Uh, I know people who are niched in, in so many industries, uh, food, food service, uh, you know, uh, restaurants, uh, healthcare. I mean, they, they just, they, they kind of become popular in that environment. And, you know, you can't choose where you're going to become popular. The audience mm -hmm. has to choose that they like you and that you resonate for them. So I would say that what you, you want to choose your topic, but you may or may not be able to choose exactly what industry you're going to apply that topic to. So do you have any speakers where you could uh, give an example of like a topic that they created and they ended up niching into an industry based yeah, on you know, Probably the best example, Marilyn Sherman, you know, it's not, not always obvious, but, you know, Marilyn, who's a, a CPA Hall of Fame speaker, wonderful speaker, uh, lovely person. And, uh, you know, she just found her way. She When she first got started, she was making dozens and dozens of cold calls, calling these different organizations. That exact thing happened. Uh, her message of she, her message is all about being in the front row in your life, not just sitting in the seat in the front row, but living your life in the front row. I love this message because yeah. it, it's really it, it just it, it's such a great metaphor. And she uh, gave that message at a food service conference 
and they just loved her. And she spent the next many years servicing the food service business. Now, that's not the only thing that she does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott McCain has, uh, you know, has, has like a, a big relationship with Marriott, does hotels, and but he also does some financial services. So most of the people that we know, these highly compensated, very well-known speakers, uh, they kind of get adopted by an industry or two or three. And that, that's not to say that's all they do, uh, because then they get bounced around a little bit. But they, they may end up getting a contract for five or 10 or 20 engagements a year uh, at a slightly reduced fee, but still a good fee mm-hmm. or, you know, for, for many engagements all around the world. And they just fly around doing those programs. Do you think that these organizations uh, tend to pick people that are speaking to their, I don't want to say competitive uh, audiences, but who, so if you have like organization A and they saw that organization B used a certain person for their conference last year and they go and grab it, do you think it's because they want to stay with someone who's already spoken to the audience? What do you think are some of the drivers of them going after people who have already spoken to their industry? Uh, you know, I, I think that um, there are speakers who buy each other's uh, name in AdWords. So let's say you're looking for a futurist for Dan Burris. Uh, there are speaker, there are people who will buy something that's, I'm just like Dan. So when they look up Dan, I want them to find me. <laughs> and this happens all the time. Uh, speaker bureaus do this too, by the way. You know, they'll oh buy my. the names of, of the certain people because the clients want the message. It, you know, if you say, listen, last year they gave the same message to your competitor. Well, then we better hear that message too. Mm, because there it is right there. We need to know what they're saying. So Dan, that's the answer to your question. Yeah. Is, you know, if they gave that message over there, we need to know what they're saying and what they're doing and how they're doing it and how it's going to affect us and, and so forth. So uh, because it's not the same as consulting where you're really getting deep in their organization. I mean, you're giving them basic information. So one of the things that I really enjoyed, uh, you know, when I started to get to know you was your book on uh, stop hustling gigs and start building a business. And I, I just love everything you have in there. And you even spoke to our group, our FSA group about this a little bit. And one of the aspects that you have in the book is you talk about the octopus revenue model. And I'd love for you, because this is something I recommend with my clients as well. So that's why when you and I met, we were like, yeah, we're the same mind, right? (laughs) We think of the same things. Yep. And I'd love for you to explain that to our listener. And and then I want to take that into the context of how niche can be applied to that. Okay. Um, So let's talk about what a revenue octopus is. You know, successful businesses have more than one revenue stream and this is just something entrepreneurs just do not do very well Mm -hmm. for whatever reason and i've got a couple ideas about why but uh, entrepreneurs just don't do this very well and now uh, i'm not talking about having four or five or eight different businesses i'm talking about having different revenue streams that are derivative of your main thing that all flow into your company that's an important distinction yeah it's tremendously important so Let's say, for example, you're a, uh, a flower shop and, you know, uh, you know, or a little, maybe maybe you're some other you're a retail store, whatever it is. And you sell the majority of your stuff at the holiday season in December. Well, if that's the case, uh, you're going to take in 60 percent of your revenue in three months and the rest of the time you're paying rent, you're kind of dormant. Uh, that's not a great business model. 
So you got to find other things to do in the other nine months of the year uh, that are going to keep you going. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt. So that's called seasonality. Uh, you know, you don't want to have one customer that uh, that buys 60% of all your merchandise or all your services. That because that would be like having a job. That's called concentration. Mm-hmm. You know, so you don't want to be have concentration. You don't want to have seasonality. And having multiple revenue streams and having different ways of serving customers is fundamental in breaking the cycle of having those kinds of problems. And that's why you want to have different kinds of, uh, of revenue streams. So let's give you an example of some companies that have great revenue streams, big companies. Um, and I always love the cruise ship example. This is always a lot of fun. But when you, uh, if you've ever been on a cruise and we go on cruises all the time, uh, you know, they sell you a medium price cabin and you, you board the ship. And the moment that you board the ship, they launch a nuclear assault on your credit card. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I mean, would you like to upgrade your cabin? Okay. Uh, you know, you get basic food. Would you like to upgrade to a special restaurant? You know, we have excursions. We have gambling. We have photographers that are taking your picture all the time. Um, oh, we have kids. No problem. We have babysitters. You pay for the babysitter so you can go out and spend more money uh, doing the things that we do. We sell <laughs> liquor. We sell uh, we sell, uh, you know, passes uh, that you get unlimited liquor. We have basic liquor. We have this. We have that. You know, so they have, they have so many different ways that you can leave money. Uh, these uh, ships are really floating cash registers. Yeah, I'm <laughs> kidding. And, and so uh, they're not embarrassed that they've got 100 different ways for you to spend money on their ship. They're proud of it. And in fact, as consumers, we like it, too, because they're offering us all these things that we like, that, that are fun, that we want to do. And so it, it's awesome for us that we can uh, do all these different things, you know? So bottom line is that uh, big companies do a really good job of driving revenue. And I think about this as going deep. It's really hard to get a customer to like you, to fall in love with you, to really appreciate you. So, uh, you know, when you find someone that wants to do business with you, offer them more opportunities to do business with you not just the, the single thing. When you hire a plumber and the plumber does a really good job and six months later you need another plumber, what are you gonna do? You go on the yellow pages, look for a new plumber? No, you're gonna go back to the same person because that person did a very good job for you. And and you wanna do more things. Well, yeah, I like this person. I wonder what other things we could do together because I trust this person. The person came through, they showed up on time, they, they billed me fairly, whatever. They don't expect it for free. They just want it to be good, you know, the way right. that they expect it. And, and we don't do a good job of that. Maybe we're embarrassed. Maybe we don't really think of it, you know, whatever the reason. Maybe we don't do good strategy work and entrepreneurs do not spend a lot of time doing their strategies because you kind of got to think about this in advance. But all these things kind of factor in. Yeah, it's, it's um, a form Starbucks, of... You know, of how, yeah, no, sorry to interrupt. No, I wanted to mention it's a form of um, really adding more value and distinguishing uh, what you can bring to the table across the board to solve not just the problem they came to you for, but also some of the, you know, problems on the periphery that you could also help them with, you know, obviously without going outside of your of your domain. Well, think about Starbucks. So they lead with coffee. Okay, the cruise leads with a shit with it with a room, you know, mm-hmm. so you lead with coffee. And then you, you're in the store and you go, oh, well, you know, oh, I didn't realize you serve food. Okay, I'll have some food. And you know what? I love this place. I'm going to buy a shirt and then I'm going to buy a coffee maker. So they've got all these different things you can do. And then if you, if you, even if you're not in Starbucks, you can buy uh, coffee to go so you can have it at home. 
And, you know, and then you go to Costco and they got five pound bags of beans you can buy. So they've got uh, lots of different ways that you can leave money in their store. And even better, uh, they've got some new ways you can buy a, uh, a gift card, you know, so you can fill up a gift card. Uh, you can get a credit card, which gives them a rebate every time you spend money on things not even related to Starbucks. Mm. So they've got all these different ways that they make money. And that makes them a very successful, large company. And in order for our companies to be more stable, more secure, more sophisticated, better companies, we need to have uh, more legs on our stool. You know, having one leg on your stool is not much of a stool. And that's what most of us have. We have a one-legged stool, and, and that's why they're so unstable. So when you're, those are all really great examples, and they really demonstrate the the revenue, the cruise ship, the Starbucks. And what I like to look at is from the perspective of a solopreneur, and they have the same challenge, right? So I can remember working at an advertising agency, and our anchor account, which was IBM, decided to go with a different agency, and, and they had to shut down they laid everybody off and they shut down that particular branch because that's an example of concentration. Exactly. Exactly. And I believe that solopreneurs can have the same kind of problem, especially consultants. I've seen it with consultants who get an engagement with a large corporation and they're providing extensive services. That's taking a yeah. lot of time. That, that's, that's because see, you're using the wrong language. It's not really an engagement. It's a temporary job. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Call it a temporary job because that's kind of demeaning. It kind of minimizes the great service that I provide as a consultant. But the truth is, let's be honest, most consultants are temporary workers that just don't have all the benefits of a permanent employee. Uh, if you operate that way, what you want to, you know, you don't want to take a desk in somebody's office because that kind of makes you like a contract worker. Right. What you want to do is you want to you know have some very defined scope and you know be able to have two three four five six seven different things going on at one time different clients where you're helping them this one on tuesdays and that one on, on thursdays and have different things and uh you know my, my words here are not meant to be uh, critical and harmful they're meant to be enlightening so that people kind of see the reality of the situation a little better no absolutely and these are all great distinctions that you're making joel and I mean, they're even helping me. So, you know, my focus is helping that solopreneur figure this out for themselves. So what could be some possible examples? And feel free to use speakers or even a consultant. Uh, if they were the one man band, they were doing their own thing, they had their expertise, they solved a pretty specific problem. And they had, you know, a bunch of different clients or engagements that they would do, whether they're speaking for an association or what have you. And how would they look at uh, creating this revenue octopus? Terry will be right back with the rest of the show in just a moment. Are you niched enough? As you know, I'm focusing on exploring niching your business this season with the sole desire to give you the confidence and know-how to develop a niche that positions you as the go-to expert. Unfortunately, many solopreneurs are unsure of how they should niche and they worry if they're narrowing their niche so much that there won't be any prospects. I will tell you right now not to be concerned about niching too much. What you need is the right objectivity to see your value and your ideal client clearly so you can choose a niche that is a natural reflection of who you are. 
Now, when you do that, everything else falls into place and your ideal clients start coming at you from the most unexpected places. And if you want help figuring out your niche, I can help. All you have to do is pick a time to talk with me one-on-one for free about your niche by visiting pappychat.com. This is a great opportunity for you to get valuable input about what you're building and how to create a well-positioned brand that drives a ton of business. Get yours on the calendar now. Hit up pappychat.com and niche, niche, niche for strength. Book yours now. That's P-A-P-P-Y-C-H-A-T.com. Well, first of all, it, it depends on what business model they use. And we haven't talked about business models, but your business model is the way that you provide value to a customer. So you could have a consulting business model. Uh, you could have a keynote business model, you know, which is easy to understand. They hire you, you give a keynote. Um, but then you could also, you could supplement your business model by saying uh, the business model is going to be keynote with follow-up advisory services or consulting or something else. Some people want to just do the keynote and leave. Some people want right. to do the keynote and then help the company further by doing some advisory. So, you, you know, so there's different kinds of ways that you have to be very clear for yourself what works for you. So a keynote speaker, they may not have a revenue octopus, although a lot of them end up uh, developing online revenue streams. Uh, for example, a lot of uh, people, Simon T. Bailey and some other very well-known people uh, will get these deals with like LinkedIn. They'll do LinkedIn uh, learning. Mm-hmm. And so they'll take their content, put it on LinkedIn, and then they get a piece of the action with LinkedIn for all the sales to get made, which is really powerful for them. Uh, they may produce uh, their own online learning libraries. Simon makes a lot of money from selling books. So there are different ways that different people, you know, depending on what business you're in, you can supplement your business model. Now mine, I run a, a seminar company. So I, I do twice a year, I do a seminar that teaches people how to uh, raise money to buy real estate. And, and so, you know, they come in, they buy a ticket to the program. And then when the program's over, if they want me to help them to build out their structure, we can do that. Then there are other things that can happen later. Uh, so every business has the possibility of having different revenue streams that are derivative of the main thing, you know, um, and you just have to figure out what those are for yourself. Uh, I might have a, a diagram that I produced once actually in the program that you saw, I probably showed a diagram. Uh, if you want to circulate that diagram, you're welcome to. Yeah, it's- send it along. I'll throw it on the show notes page. That yeah, sounds just good. remind me and I'll, I'll give it to you. Yeah, happy to. Um, so in that particular example, like the keynote person who has the follow-on support and the training, for example, uh, how would they niche themselves uh, in that context? So we kind of talked about the revenue model. We talked about the revenue octopus, or the business model and the revenue octopus. When it comes to niching, how does that all kind of come together? Well, so let's take, for example, uh, David Horsager. David Horsager is an expert in trust. That's He's another Hall of Fame speaker. Uh, these are all brilliant speakers. So what David does, David's got a, a tremendous business. Uh, he does a keynote. And then the company says, boy, this was just great. You really opened our eyes to some new ideas. We, we need to have this happen to our whole company. Okay, fine. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, he has a licensing model where he licenses them additional material, but he knows that's not enough. So he also has a coaching model where he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring in coaches to teach your people how to do this. 
kind of a train the trainer kind of model. Right. And we're going to help you do that. So David, his niche is trust. Now it can be a, a baseball team, a basketball team. It could be a fortune 500 company. It could be a medium sized company. It could be in the United States, it could be out of the United States. So his niche is really about his topic area. His topic, yeah. It's not about food service because you know his his concept is so much bigger than than an industry. It's it's topical. Um, and I, I would say most people's topics are not industry specific, mm -hmm. uh, you know, necessarily. They're people uh, specific. Right. They're 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 people specific, like you said, perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, so you just have to kind of figure out you know how that works. But for David. His niche is trust. He totally understands it. His whole life's about trust. His uh, graduate work was all about trust. And he's really done more research than anyone else about trust. And he just understands it than anyone else. And that's what he does. And he just puts it out there in a big way. So, uh, you know, my niche is really, uh, you know, the real estate thing. And I'm very clear about who my people are. Uh, I know exactly who they're likely to be that are going to buy. And I know exactly what kind of people uh, would not be interested. I mean, I just, I just know. And you have to, that really is a good distinction because that prevents you from wasting a lot of money and time and effort uh, in, in, in every way. And I think that from just from a tactical standpoint, the amount of and quality of content that you put out, Joel, with your weekly videos and just all of the things that you're doing to help educate on all the nuances, every question you get, you create a video for people to understand more about raising money and building their fund and everything. And I think that that contributes a lot to you becoming that niched expert in that particular topic because you're sharing that information. Yeah. Well, here, so here's the thing, and this, this is something that I think that everyone could do. And it's, it's been the most extraordinary thing for me. And it's really worked very well um, is I want to position myself as a world-class expert. I think that, uh, a lot of self-employed people, uh, that really works for us. We need to be world-class experts. How do you demonstrate that you're a world-class expert? Well, what, what do people do to experts that they don't do to other people? They ask them questions. Mm. So people send me in questions. I encourage people to send in questions. So they write in or they call in and they'll ask me questions. Hey, Joel, how does this work? And I'll, I've gotten in the habit of writing down the question when they ask it. Then I turn on my camera and I make a little three to seven minute video that explains the answer. Uh, now, the fact I explained the answer uh, does not make it possible for the person to execute on the strategy by themselves, but at least they're aware of what the strategy is. And, you know, when I first started, the first day I started it, you know how many videos were in the library? There was no videos in the library, you know, and <laughs> I would do one, put it in one. And, and it was really slow. And I thought, God, this yeah. is going to take forever. And a year later, uh, I just looked yesterday, there's 119 assets in the library now. Nice. And which is shocking. And actually somebody said, Joel, uh, there's so many videos in your library. We can't find the stuff that we, that we want because it's too <laughs> big. And now I got to figure out how to organize it. Somehow. Yeah. Maybe tag it or do something different with, it. I don't know what to do. Yeah. But, I'll help you figure that out. Yeah. But, 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 <laughs> I'm but a great organizer. That's yeah, my expertise. Uh, but here's, here's the thing is that, uh, you know, Terry entrepreneurs could write you and they could say, um, how do you solve this problem or that problem? And you give answers and that positions you as a world-class expert. And that's the kind of stuff people, they love it. They, they share it on Facebook and they post and they do this and that. And, you know, if you're, if you're the best florist, you know, then you should be doing things about floral arrangements. And if you're the best, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, singer, you should be doing about, you know, how you hire singers or 
there's something that you could be teaching people who are prospective customers. And eventually what happens is number one, they feel like they know you. Like I called the guy that was on my list and I said, Hey, it's uh, Joel block. And he says, uh, who's this? I said, Joel block syndication. He goes, what? I tell him again. And he says, he starts screaming. He goes, you're kidding. He goes, what, you're calling me because you are so famous. I said, I'm, I'm not famous. He goes, I watch you like on my computer, which is like TV. People, they, they think you're like Oprah. You know, he says, I watch you on my screen every week. It's like amazing. You're like amazing. I love it. That's <laughs> and, great. You know, it's just from doing these little videos. And so, you know, people say, look, I would not work with anyone but you. And and that's that's all from these little videos. And it's they're they're serviceable, they cost nothing to make. Uh, they don't have to be fancy. And and I think it's a wonderful strategy that people can use. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And 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 it does. I mean, I, I've been doing videos for a while. I'm actually taking a pause and just doing my best of for the rest of the year, just so I can reevaluate what I'm doing and be a little more deliberate in my strategy of of doing my video content because I love doing videos as well. well I'll so. help you with that part. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'd love that. Um, so I want to just segue just a little bit. And I know that you have some exciting things that you are going to be sharing with our listener at the end of the podcast, where we're going to have this awesome freebie uh, for people to text and download. And this is about business trends for 2020. Yeah. And I'd love for you to just kind of touch on a couple of those. And then we'll share the uh, how uh, the listener can actually get a hold of that and check it out. Well, you know, first of all, I understand that, um, I spent my life in the Wall Street business and Wall Street's business is really about making the biggest companies as valuable as they can so that they can all make as much money as they can. And there are very specific things that Wall Street people tell companies to do uh, in order to uh, you know, be successful. Uh, unfortunately, this great intel that these giant companies get does not trickle down to the middle size and the smaller companies. So little companies are not getting the benefit of this fantastic intel. And so my whole objective in my life now for the rest of my career is really about providing that level of intel to middle-sized and smaller companies. So the first thing that we did is we wrote a series of trends that we notice that are being shared with large companies that little companies are not hearing about. So we've codified this, um, this thing about trends, 20 business trends for 2020, uh, and we've organized them in different forms of capital. And you know, we don't think that money is the only form of capital. Beside financial capital, there's human capital, there's social capital, reputational capital, marketing, uh, there's uh, cultural capital. I mean, there's just all these different kinds of capital. And so we've basically taken and we've created uh, three or four trends in each bucket that we consider to be very important. And, and those are available. Uh, we could talk about what a handful of those things are. I can kind of give you a yeah, little. Yeah, if you could just mention maybe one or two as yeah. we wrap up. Probably the single most important one. And everybody's going to recognize what it is, but they're not going to know why. They're going to recognize it, but they're not going to know where it came from. And it came straight from Wall Street. I mean, this is all this stuff comes straight from Wall Street. Uh, and it's subscription and recurring revenue. Mm. Um and, and I want so to examples would be like Amazon Prime. Yeah, I'll, and I'll, I'll, let me give you a couple of great examples and I'll tell you what the financial implications are of these kinds of deals. So let's start with Microsoft. Mm -hmm. In the old days, Microsoft used to sell software. They don't sell software. They're not in that business anymore. You know, what business are in They're in the business now of renting software. Mm 
-hmm. They don't sell it now, they rent it. Think about, well, that's not a big deal. What's the difference? You know, I still get to use their software. It makes all the difference in the world. And this yes. people don't really think about this, but you know, these little nuances make enormous differences. And here's what it is. In about 2011, Microsoft uh, converted their Office suite to Office 365. They released right. it in 2011. Nobody bought it. You know, and, and a few people bought it, but around 2013, 2014, it starts to take off. And you kind of, you know, start getting this, uh, you know, where the, the hockey stick starts going up, you know, yep. that's the inflection point. They, they boom, they start hitting the inflection point from that point till 2019, which is now their stock price is up over 400%. And the rest of the market is up, what, 30%? You know, mm -hmm. so Wall Street said to them, listen, if you will get off this gig to gig revenue, if you'll get away from the, the transactional stuff that we can't understand, that we can't predict, if you'll help make our job easier, we'll value the company higher. So instead of giving you like a price to earnings, like a multiplier of like 10, we'll give you 20 or 30 you know, because it's better revenue. It's more dependable. People can understand. More dependable. That's key for Wall Street. Right. So, uh, so. The trend for us is that we have to learn how to build businesses that have the same thing. Now, I'm not saying stop your other revenue, right. but start moving and adding revenue streams that are subscription uh, oriented. Yeah, it's the revenue octopus. Just add yeah. a subscription leg. Add, it's, it's tied <laughs> back to the octopus, right? Mm -hmm. And just add a tentacle uh, that, you know, so continue doing your consulting and then maybe have an, an online library where people can access for some dollars or whatever whatever way you want to do it and and have something that that works for you but wall street was very deliberate in telling companies like microsoft amazon is another great example so you start mm -hmm. bringing this up uh they're a subscription business even though we buy their stuff and they get a few points whatever they make uh, they're really a subscription business just like costco by the way costco is a subscription business yep. too you know um but what Amazon did is they got their prime membership and they charge $100 uh, a year. Well, one day uh, they decided, I guess, cost went up, whatever happened, or they just want to make a little more money. They raised the price. I remember that day. <laughs> from 100 to 120. What you might not remember was what happened in the stock price on that day. The day they raised the price of Amazon Prime, their stock value increased, like the, the overall price of the whole company by something like $400 billion. Wow, holy so, like, so $20 rippled into 400 billion instantly because the value of the subscriptions, you gotta remember, it's not just you get this this month and it's over, it's you get it forever. Mm, so, as long as you, yeah, as, as long, long as you, you wanna have it. Goods, you know, you keep getting it. So Wall Street was very deliberate and I'm telling you, uh, there's two sides of this one if you're building a business deliberately start building these things and second if you're a, an investor look for companies that do these kind of things mm -hmm. you know i mean this is another very important factor is be deliberate about it 
I love it. That's great. And you know, my mind at the wheels are going because I'm actually working on a membership slash subscription model in my business. And uh, I'll have to talk to you about it offline, but I'm super excited about it for next year. So this uh, trends report, how can you tell our listener to get this, get their little hands on this? It's so simple. Take out your uh, mobile phone, open mm-hmm. the texting app and just um, type in the, the word trend and send it to the number 72,000. So in the two box, put 72,000, seven with three zeros. And then where you put the words, just type in the word trend. And that's it. We'll send it right out to you. And uh, and this is free, right? Free. Yeah, we're not going to- No sum- strings attached. You're not going to like call people up and say, hey, man. No, no, no. We're not, <laughs> we're not, we, we may uh, encourage them to listen to our podcast, but we're not going to, we, we don't sell anything. That's great. I'm just kidding with you, but that's fine. And thank you so much for offering that to our listener. And listener, I'm going to have that on the show notes page. So if for whatever reason you're driving and not able to write that down, I will have it on the show notes page. So just head over to simplifyandmultiply.com and look up this episode, which is 411 with Joel Block, and you can get that info fast. Joel, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. We have so many things we could cover. I might have to have you on the show again soon. We'll do it. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for joining me. You know, being a solo can be incredibly rewarding when you have the right guidance, resources, and community to help drive your business vision. The great news is that's exactly what you'll get with Simplify and Multiply. You've just listened to another episode of the Simplify and Multiply show with Terry Pappy. If you want to get free marketing and business development tips, templates, trainings, and more, head over to simplifyandmultiply.com and sign up. Learn how you can grow your business the easy way. That's simplifyandmultiply.com to join our growing community of amazing, talented solopreneurs out to simplify their business, multiply their income, and make a big impact in the solopreneur economy.